the path doesn't have to be straight. We have enough information that we can Value courage. Hey everyone, I'm Sue Robinson. And I'm Vanessa Alava. And this is the We Get Real AF podcast a safe and inclusive place where we redefine feminism and bridge cultural gaps with each episode. We talk with female leaders about things that matter to you most, your health, finances, raising kids, building your career, everyday life, and so much more. Plus, we take a look at how emerging tech and science are shaping our future. Not a coder or a rocket scientist, neither are we. We will spark your curiosity and give you practical advice for living your best life in a world that's changing at lightning speed. Let's learn together. Join us every Tuesday for smart, real, and relatable conversations. And subscribe, rate, and comment wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also find at We Get Real AF across all social media platforms for exclusive online video content. So grab a coffee, set your intentions, and let's dive in. Welcome to Tech Talk. And here's what's going on in the world of tech and science. All right. Well, we're here with our Tech Talk and uh, have a couple of interesting things that we wanted to bring to light. Um, so do we want to start with Amazon? Sure. Let's start okay. with Amazon and healthcare. Great. So Amazon recently uh, put out into the universe that they're putting Alexas in hospitals next to hospital beds. So they're trying to get into healthcare. They're going to be partnering with several hospitals um, in uh, Boston, Florida, and California. So the whole thought is that if they incorporate Alexas or Echo speakers into rooms, that staff would be um, more available to do other things. So productivity would hopefully go up. PPE would be um, used only when needed. I guess they're going into rooms a lot more often now. So they're going to try using these devices to uh, enhance the overall experience at a hospital for the patient, but also to alleviate staff uh, to um, be more productive. So we always talk about these things, Sue, how even at home, I mean, Jason goes up behind me and turns off the Alexas mm -hmm. and the Echoes that we've, I don't know, one year we just like got gifted several. Like it was like, that was the year they were on sale right. or something. And I, mm -hmm. like every Christmas party, somebody was giving one out. Um, and, you know, it raises the question with HIPAA, you know, and obviously Google saying, no, 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 it's not going to be listening. It's not going to be doing the things, but can we trust that? What are your thoughts on it? Uh, I question it. Because when I really think about it, certainly from a privacy standpoint, yeah. If you read through the announcement from Amazon, it says the healthcare and senior living center solutions will not save the voice recordings and don't require users to share their personal information on Alexa uh, to use the device. It doesn't say that, that Amazon's not saving that information. It's saying that the facilities aren't saving that information if you're really reading between the lines. So there's that question. There's also the question of, for me, on the few times that I've been in a hospital, I still had to have people come in to check my IV, to do sort of personal care tasks that you mm -hmm. really can't translate to an Alexa or to a device. So I'm thinking, is this really going to cut down on, in a measurable way, in a significant way, the amount of in-person contact? that healthcare providers have. If you really think about 
anytime I've been in the hospital, the reason I haven't been able to sleep wasn't because of something that could have been done through just hitting the nurse call button, which they Mm -hmm. have now anyway. Right. It was because people had to physically be in the room doing a thing. Does that really change? So I, I guess I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate as I always like to be contrarian in these conversations that, well, really, <laughs> is it going to do what it's purporting to do? And then there's the whole HIPAA and privacy thing. And there's also maybe that human interaction is important when you're in the hospital to have somebody who actually looks you in the eyes, hears your voice, has that kind of gut instinct, human to human um, read on your condition and your health. And I, I don't think we want to lose that because that's a huge part of medicine, right? Well, exactly. And it's so funny you brought up the exact same things that I thought of as I was reading this article. You know, you're still going to have people come in. You're hooked up to several different machines, you know, usually when you're in a hospital that alert, uh, a, you know, a physician or a nurse or an attendant that, hey, you need attention, Right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and if if a device falls off of your finger or whatever and it starts making a noise like they're coming in to adjust that. So to your point, those things are already going to happen. They have a nurse call button on the actual bed or the, the device is connected to the bed. So I guess in that regard, if you're in a position where you can't reach it, I could see saying, hey, Alexa, call the nurse. Right. You don't have to like move to touch a button. And especially as you're older or depending on why you're in the hospital, you might not have that accessibility. So yeah, absolutely. I I thought the exact same thing. I'm like, what is this really going to alleviate? However, I mean, at least the the people they've interviewed for this article are excited and they think that it's going to be revolutionary for this type of technology to be used in an environment such as a hospital or medical facility. But I'm with you. There's things about it that I'm like, I don't know, it's borderline. And then at the end of the day, most of it is privacy. And Mm -hmm. how can you tell this device, you know, interviews we've had with professionals and subject matter experts is like, you have to go in and physically turn off potentially that it's not listening. But then if it's not listening, how is it going to alert anybody, right? So it has to listen somehow. It has to listen. And is it going to, I know it says it's not going to record the conversation, um, but that's just weird to me because usually it keeps it recorded for a certain amount of time, even if it's finite. And then what does it matter if it doesn't need your personal information in order for it to work? I mean, that's how Alexa works anyway. You don't have to say, hey, Alexa, it's Vanessa. Please listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> you right. know, like it's going to work regardless. So it's interesting. It's interesting. It almost feels to me like another one of these things that sounds like a really great idea, but it's technology going out and searching for, it's a solution in search of a problem more than a problem in search of a solution. And it may be something that hospitals try and they go, you know what, we ended up not using this as much or people didn't like it as much, or we ended up having to go in and change the bedpan just as often as we had to do before. And meanwhile, we've exposed people to, you know, another and hospitals to another layer of HIPAA potential liability. Mm-hmm. And so it may be a flash in the Pan in the <laughs> right, and then you know, on the opposite side, is it is it going to 
allow patients to lean more on staff because it's easier to just say, hey, so-and-so, please <laughs> alert so-and-so <laughs> versus pressing a button. Is it just easier to ask it for something right. where someone's going to have to come in anyway? So is productivity really going to go up? Or are they going to find that they're in the rooms more often anyway? <laughs> <laughs> to be determined. All righty. Well, we've talked to Amazon. Let's move on to Google. Uh, Google recently has given minors some additional control over their digital footprint. They are allowing children, kids under age 18 to flag the URLs of images of themselves that they do not want to have on the internet. You do this, and, and it can also be done by the guardian, parent or guardian of anybody under age 18. So say there's an image of, of somebody that uh, they don't want on whatever website it's going to be. This does not allow you to take it down off that website, but it does allow you to remove the image from Google search results and the URLs associated with those. Um, there is a form that you have to fill out. It's a rather extensive form. And, you know, in theory, I think it's another, it's another great idea that a large tech company has to try to, to create some controls for minors. Um, however, it's almost, again, like, I feel like, these social media platforms and and all the websites that kids' images could potentially be, it's like a sieve. And, and you maybe are trying to plug some of the holes in the sieve, <laughs> but there's still a lot of holes in that sieve. So uh, again, it's a form that you go onto Google, you submit, you fill out a bunch of information, including why you want, what the image looks like, where, where the URLs are that you've seen it. You take screenshots of the image. It is reviewed by Google. I don't know how long that process takes, right? And then the amount of time that it takes for Google to re react, review, and take it down, where else has that image been captured and saved? Again, that's my SIV theory here. <laughs> um, and it does not apply to CSAM material, which is child sexual abuse material. So that's a whole different re reporting process. I, I think the spirit of it is great. I just, um, I just wonder again about the efficacy. What do you think? Mm -hmm. I agreed. I think that we're trying to tackle these issues as best we can, but in the greater scheme of things, I mean, there's just a whole world of the internet and we know digital twins exist everywhere. So it's like, you're, you're trying to put a bandaid here, but we need an overall better solution. And we're all just trying to figure out what that is. So mm -hmm. I commend them for trying to do the right thing. There's agreed. also pressures because of all of the privacy things that are coming out now, especially with Facebook, um, that people are saying, hey, this is what we're doing. We're putting action behind our words. And hey, I appreciate that. But again, what's the overall solution going to be? And I get that it's trial and error to just saying, hey, this worked, this didn't, let's tweak it. Let's use a little bit of this, a little bit of that and create a new thing. However, it was also mentioned in this article that if there's a particular website that has the picture uploaded that just by sending something to Google is not going to remove it from that specific website. Exactly. So, you know, you would then need to go to that specific website, send them a personal email saying that you want the image removed and go through the process that you just went with Google for that specific or those specific websites, depending on how many websites we're talking about. So to your point of like, oh, let's put my finger here. Oh, there's water coming out on this hole. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, like the pressure just keeps amounting into, you know, whatever, whatever new opening. But um, yeah, this is the world in which we live and we're trying, right. to, trying to fix it. And it's, it's a big internet out there. It sure is. And, um, and then there's the question too of 
are kids going to want to take down images that just they think are unflattering of I mean mm, well that's a different, a different versus, conversation too right versus yeah. versus images that really could lead to bullying or again this doesn't apply to sexual content so kind of carving that piece out of it but but somebody at Google has to review all this stuff mm-hmm. right and are they going to either hear crickets because people are realizing what you and I are talking about, which is that sure I can take it down from Google, but I've still got to contact all the webmasters and it's on Snapchat and it's on Instagram and it's on all these other places. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Or, I know. or the, you know, if it's just an aesthetic thing and somebody at, at Google has to go through and go, well, your nose doesn't look too big here. <laughs> really this up. I, mean, I just don't know. Yeah, yeah. Again, I applaud the spirit of it. I do. And I want to call that out because I think tech companies, I don't know how you address these things as, as a company. And just the fact that they're large tech doesn't mean that they have all the answers. They've created these platforms and these tools that we love and that kids love. And by the way, kids also lie about their age when they go onto platforms and, and their, or their friends maybe lie and things get posted that that say that they're over 18 when they're in fact under 18. So there's that whole element of it. Um, I applaud the the tech companies who are trying to, to sort this out, but I, I don't think this is a solution. It's a step and we'll, we'll see if it leads to better steps down the road. Right. I almost feel that it should be a parent at least 17 or younger. The 18 year old can submit, you know, their documentation. But if you're talking about 17 and younger, that it should be the parent saying, hey, I want this removed for whatever reason. Um, and I am the parent or the, the guardian of this child. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes more sense for, to me. But again, there's other issues here too. Again, at right. the end of the day, it's, it's a Band-Aid and we need a stitch, <laughs> a stitch that's going to heal it. <laughs> right, or just a preventative. I think right. to me that the solution to these things is really on the front end and it's really educating our kids active parenting when your kids are young about what kinds of images you take, what kinds of images you let your friends take. And all that's really tough because kids aren't mature. They're kids. They're not supposed to be. They're impulsive. Mm-hmm. They think something's funny one minute and the next minute they're mortified. And by then it's like gone out onto every possible platform. Yeah. So I feel like it, it's a parent. This is a parenting thing. Tech companies can't solve. And, mm-hmm. you know, parents can and guardians can use this this new form and do the reporting per, to your point. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be from the minor directly. It can be from their caregiver. However, I, I think tech companies are never going to be able to parent our children. I wonder mm-hmm. how this will play into potential bullying. You know, like if your child's image is put online by another child or what have you, I think there's a value there. Um, Mm So 100%, when you said spirits in the right place, absolutely. Um, We just need an overall better solution and preventative measure for sure. Yes. So that's what we've got for this week. All good food for thought as we move forward in the world of technology and uh, (laughs) interconnectedness. For, for good or for bad. <laughs> exactly. Let's hope for good. <laughs> yes, exactly. Always for good. Up next is Real Money with Nicole Hartwig, fintech leader and founder of Capri, a financial wellness app created by women for women. We are so excited for this finance segment with Nicole Hartwig. We've interviewed this boss lady before uh, all about finance tips. If you haven't had a chance to check out that episode, we encourage you to do so. She is here as a regular contributor now for this new finance segment. Nicole, please introduce yourself and welcome back. Welcome. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. It is wonderful to be back with you. 
folks. And thank you for inviting me. And yeah, I am the founder of Capri. We're a female-focused financial education company. And really, we're focused on both educating women on all things personal finance, but also untangling those really heavy money stories that we as women tend to carry around with us throughout our lives. So we do focus on financial education as a core tenant of what we do. And our product is available for all ages. Yay. And I love that your mission is like financial literacy. I don't think Mm -hmm. I had ever seen that phrase before, but I love it. So yes, check out Capri. And again, if you haven't already done so, check out that episode with Nicole Hartwig um, about finance and fintech and all the great things that Capri offers. Um, However, we are here today because the holidays are upon us and we want to know what we should be doing to budget for the holidays. Um, And I know you have a lot of great tips and advice, Nicole. So please tell us, what's the process? What should we be asking ourselves? Well, this is a fun topic because people tend to really feel that budgeting is a is a chore and it's it's like it holds you down and it holds you back and I really like to reframe budgeting as it's it's just about looking at what's flowing in and what's flowing out in terms of money coming in and money coming out of your accounts and just being intentional about those that's really all that budgeting is so what I like to talk about when I talk about budgeting in general is that remember that you get to decide what your budget looks like right you're in the driver's seat of what your budget looks like. It's not the Macy's doorbuster deals. It's not the Cyber Monday coupons. It's it's you. You get to decide what your spending looks like during this time, what your savings looks like during this time. So I just want to say that as a blanket statement. It's really not about dollar amounts. And that's how we coach at Capri. It's really about how you relate to your money. So coming up on this season that can generally feel like a little triggering, a little stressful, it's a little overwhelming. Just remember that you're in the driver's seat. You have control. You get to decide what this time looks like for you. And really sitting down and planning in advance is the best way to do that. And I have lots of tips that I can share. Yeah, Nicole, we would love for you to share those because to your point, I think it does begin as November creeps up on us. And then from November on, I always feel like less and less in control. And and so to me, there's like two pieces to this, right? There's the piece that, that you've touched on, which is keeping your head in that space that I get to make these decisions and kind of trying to deflect all the messaging that's coming at us from kids who have want lists, from uh, advertising, all those different places. And then there's a piece of actually being really smart and really um, judicious with the budget that you do have. So where do we begin with all this? Help us get in the right headspace and then help us understand what we should do with our money. You're so right. And look, we are inundated all the time with messaging about what we should and shouldn't be doing. But especially, especially during the holidays, it just gets absolutely crazy. One thing that I think about when I think about holiday budgeting is if you've ever heard of this sort of Buddhist practice of intentional eating, whereby you essentially sit with your food without distractions, right? You're not watching TV. You're not playing on your phone. You're not talking to other people. You're really, really, really focusing on what it is that you're eating. It really helps them um, not only digest better and, and sort of have less stress around eating, but it also can even help people lose weight. And I like to sort of translate that into budgeting and say, 
practice intentional budgeting. And that really means exactly what you're talking about, Sue, not letting the sort of noise that is happening around us, especially during the holidays, kind of infiltrate what's happening in our heads and in our planning around our budget, but really sitting down, especially ahead of time and sit with what it is that you want to do. Pay attention to it, reflect on it, really think about it, jot it down, even journal about it. Just taking that time to sort of sit down and reflect without the noise of the commercials and the kids' Christmas lists and all the things going on around you and just pay attention to what is it that I want this holiday season to feel like? What do I, what do I know my boundaries are? What, when I think about myself after the holidays have passed, what do I know is going to have felt good for me? And what do I know is going to have felt not so good for me? So it's really planning in advance, sitting down, being highly, highly intentional about your steps going forward. Oh, I love that so much because there's always like, you know, like the, the devil on the, the little angel on both shoulders. Okay. So I have the one that's like, you're going to have buyer's remorse if you do this, or if I don't do it, then I have the opposite of that. And I haven't found a phrase for it quite yet, but it's like the opposite of buyer's remorse. Like I should have gotten that. Why didn't I do it? Or I should have just spent the extra money, you know, what have you. So being really intentional, being realistic with yourself about what you can afford, what you can't. And knowing that there's always other special occasions, you know, leading you know after the holidays that you can potentially save that extra whatever to go with whatever gift to pair it with whatever gift. Um, I'd love to also hear what should we be doing? And I know that this kind of goes into earlier planning, but setting money aside, should you have a separate savings account for holiday or for purchases that, you know, for for gift giving. Absolutely. And I think that we tend to not think about these things ahead of time, but think about them as they're already happening. Totally. Such a great Mm -hmm. practice is to start setting aside money right after the holidays for that next round of holidays the next year. Now Mm -hmm. it's okay if you haven't done that already. It's also okay if like this today, this is the first time you're ever thinking about planning in advance for gifts. I think that's something that as you get older, you start to realize that gifts and giving gifts, that's not a, a a random isolated thing that happens, you know, every once in a while. That's something that especially in adulthood, it's a part of your budget. <laughs> Gift right. giving is a part of your budget. <laughs> and, um, and the holidays, you know, however it is that you celebrate should be a part of your budget. Anything that recurs <laughs> on a monthly basis or a quarterly or a yearly basis should be a part of your ongoing budget. So absolutely. And if you're sitting here thinking like, Y'all, I've been planning since last year. I got the savings account. It's labeled. I haven't touched it since last year. You're you're in the clear. You're doing great. And also, you know, if if you haven't done that, that's okay, right? This is all a learning experience. So if today you're inspired to put a little bit of money into a savings account that you label with holiday spending, that's phenomenal. And, you know, even if you contribute a little bit to that every month throughout the year, even if all it does is offset you're spending during the holidays, mm. that's mm-hmm. a win, right? You know, for me, and, and this is especially true when, when my kids were small and Santa came <laughs> and I was shopping for, for myself, you know, on behalf of myself and on behalf of Santa, right after the holidays was like the last time I felt like I had margin to start saving for the next year. And it might have even made me cry a little bit, <laughs> Nicole, to be honest with you. <laughs> so as you're saying that, I'm thinking, even if you just at the very beginning of the holiday season set 20 bucks aside in a drawer somewhere and say, I'm going to start with this same, like with after holiday dieting or anything, right? At least maybe in that 
moment and, and doing it in just a bite-sized way, you're starting that practice for the next year. Cause otherwise I think it could feel kind of overwhelming. Absolutely. And I think like with anything, when we swing the pendulum way too far to one side, that momentum is going to bring it all the way back to the other side. So doing more bite-sized, like you're saying, sustainable things that are smaller and smaller chunks. You know, maybe you're pulling a smaller amount out of your paycheck, but it's going to help you to sort of stay in control, keep that pendulum from swinging way to one side and way to the other. I can't tell you how much that saved so many like petty little arguments between my husband and me ever since we started doing that. And I, I felt like it was year after year. It was like the holidays was this heavy thing we should be all enjoying it, but we all get into that rut. We're like, uh, it like tightening up. All right. We're spending a little too much. We've gone over what we said we were going to spend. Um, so a couple of years back, I just started doing exactly that. I set a, a monthly amount, um, that I just pull into a separate account and I don't look at it and don't touch it until there's like a birthday or an anniversary. And then I'll like say, okay, I'm going to spend X amount for this gift. And I pull that out of the account. But you'd be surprised at how quickly it accumulates. And then by November, when you're ready to start spending or to offset your spending, you're like, damn, good for me. Yeah. <laughs> and you can enjoy it because giving exactly. should be fun. And, and we all want it to be fun. But it's just when you're giving to everybody all at the same time of the year, that, that fun turns into stress. And it's totally. like this. Yeah. Absolutely. What other tips? What I like to think about is as you're heading into the holidays, especially like right now, right before we're about to hit that peak time, we're running around like crazy, we're doing a lot of buying. I like to look at what my normal discretionary spending budget looks like, right? Normally month to month. What's my normal discretionary spending budget? And then I like to sit down and I'll give you some sort of questions to think about. I like to total up what I project I'm going to spend for the holiday season. And then I like to compare those because if you don't, if you just go into the holidays blindly thinking, I'm fine, I'll spend what I normally spend every month. That probably isn't the case, right? You're probably going to get to the end and think, oh my gosh, I way overspent. Look, at I just blew through my discretionary budget. But if you prepare, overspending during the holidays doesn't really feel emotional, right? It doesn't really feel like overspending because you've prepared for it. Of course, you're going to spend more during the holidays than you are at other times of the year. So I like to really look at those two numbers, compare them, and then find what the difference is. And that way you can prepare for that. Okay. Am I going to offset that by pulling from savings? Am I going to lean on a credit card for a month or two to offset that? Like, that's fine. You know, that that's okay. That happens. I like to ask myself, how many people am I buying gifts for this year? Literally list out the people that you're buying gifts for this year. That's, of course, it's going to be your spouse. Of course, it's going to be your kids, your family members, your friends. But is it also your coworkers? Is it also your clients? There's, is it, is it the lady who does your hair? I mean, really, there's really write down that entire list of everybody who you want to buy a gift for. And then just do that rough estimate of what it is that you're planning to spend on that person. Maybe it's like 200 bucks on each of your kids. Maybe it's 200 bucks on your spouse or your partner. Maybe the rest of the people on that list, like, your 10 cousins and you're the, the woman who does your nails. Maybe those people get $10, $20 gifts, but just put that all into a spreadsheet and, and total up that number so that you know what your projection is for that. Another thing that I think this one sneaks up on you, are you decorating this season? Are you decorating? Some people have like all this seasonal decor in their attics that they use year after year after year. They just reuse and recycle what they have. Some people like 
can't resist a trip to Home Goods. Everything is shiny and exciting. It's so festive, Nicole. It's so you got to just add that one extra piece each year to continue right? growing your collection. That's yes, right. absolutely. Exactly. And some people are in the middle, right? Some people are like one new wreath and like a couple pine scented candles will do. But whatever it is, it's like, what is your plan? Are you, Do you like deck the halls? Like, is it the White House in your house every year? Or is it just like, a little touch here and there, something special that you're going to add to your collection. Whatever it is, no judgment, just plan for that trip, plan for that amount. Another thing is entertaining. I know personally my mom, my mom doesn't entertain, but every year she has everybody over for Christmas brunch. That's like the only thing that she does all year long. Well, that's a ding to your expenses, right? That's a big, that's a big Mm -hmm. chunk. So is it that you get catering? Is it that you just buy a bunch of booze for the house? Is it that you do like a DJ? Is like, can I, also, can I come to your Christmas party? Um, but, but Open le- invitation, Nicole, always. <laughs> but like really plan for those things. So if if you're somebody who hosts one or multiple parties, literally put it in a spreadsheet, figure out what each of those line items is going to cost so that you're not you're not surprised when your Costco bill is three times the size that it normally is when, you know, when, when you generally go grocery shopping. Um, and finally, the last thing that's always on my list is Am I making any financial contributions to any causes this year? A lot of people make financial contributions to causes that they're passionate about during the holidays. And that's, of course, a wonderful gift. Cash check. That's a wonderful gift to give a cause that you care about. But remember that your time and energy is also valuable, right? So if you're looking at your budget, if you're totaling all these things up, if it's reaching heights that you didn't expect... Remember that giving your time can also be a beautiful way to give back. It can also be a beautiful way to get your family involved in giving back. So I think that financial contributions Mm -hmm. are wonderful, so important, but it's okay if that doesn't fit into your budget this year. I do want to acknowledge that the past nearly two years have been extremely financially difficult on so many people. So if you're somebody who prides yourself on giving back to causes that you care about, but this year it just doesn't work for you, know that you have other options than that. As our kids were growing up, we we used to, as a family, volunteer for like uh, Salvation Army or there was a, a shoe charity. There's a lot of opportunities in November, December, but you have to start thinking kind of early if you're going to sign up to do a day together as the family at the, at the soup kitchen or whatever it might be, because they fill up quickly because I feel like at the end of the year, a lot of people get into that that mode. So start thinking about that as soon as possible in November mm-hmm. and get signed up for that. Cause, and, and it, it's wonderful. I mean, when we did it as a family, uh, it was just a, a fun way to celebrate the holidays without that pressure of shopping, buying. It was just different. It was a different headspace. You were around different people that you might never otherwise cross paths with as a family unit. And those memories are really, really special. So I feel like that is not only great financial advice, it's also great sort of wellness and and family bonding advice. I love that you brought that up. Absolutely. All of this is kind of tying back to prior planning. A lot of people have more time during the holidays. If they know it's holiday time, I'm going to take some uh, respite and time for my family and friends, et cetera. So, but again, since those slots fill up so quickly, start thinking of that like two to three months before. So you can say, okay, I am going to take that time off. Let me go ahead and book my slot. We're going to go on this day and do, do the thing and give some time and have some time for our family to really enjoy giving back. So absolutely love that. That's so important. 
Don't let this sneak up on you. Put it on your calendar for next year, right? Like end of October, put this on your calendar to just start, sit down and start thinking about all this. And, you know, my parting words are just, don't be afraid to get creative and get crafty. Like I said, so many people are in different financial situations this year than they ever have been before in their lives. And you're not alone in that if that if that's you. You're not alone if you're baking that banana bread that you perfected over the pandemic, you know, and giving that to people instead of gifts that cost a lot of money. You're not alone in that. And, and that's okay. Um, really what's important about the holidays is spending time with family, spending time with friends, enjoying good food, having laughs, making memories that last a lifetime. So just reorient as much as you possibly can to the values, to the things that you want to remember after the holidays and prioritize those things. This has been awesome. We're so grateful to have had you and to keep having these conversations with you uh, every month. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Hey there. We hope you're enjoying the show. Do you work for a company or brand that wants to empower women? We're looking for sponsors for the We Get Real AF podcast. Reach out to us at wegetrealaf at gmail.com for more information. You can also show your support by finding the We Get Real AF podcast at ifundwomen.com. We have patron exclusives waiting just for you. Thanks for listening. Moving on to Profesh Sesh with Elisa Walters, our professional recruiter and talent specialist, where we talk all things career development. Today, we're going to talk about how when people are going back to work, some companies increasingly are requiring you to get vaccinated. It's very controversial, uh, lots to be thought about and considered on both sides of this issue. So we're going to try to unpack that a bit today with Elisa. Yes, um, it is all we are hearing and reading about right now is this uh, is a vaccine mandate. Back in September, the Biden administration had put forth a plan that would require that companies with 100 or more employees uh, would have to mandate that everybody would have to be vaccinated, Um, that there would be religious and medical exemptions from that, but that there would be uh, a mandate for all employees to be vaccinated at companies with 100 or more employees. So we are seeing companies now rolling out that mandate. Um, I work for a very large company and our vaccine mandate was rolled out, I think about two weeks ago. Um, So it's interesting from a talent acquisition perspective, how we're handling and navigating those conversations, because obviously you also have to be sensitive to, to HIPAA and things like that. So we are starting to see you know, just in my experience at my company, conversations that are happening with people who also are very pro-vaccine, but anti this this vaccine mandate and what that means going forward. And what does that mean for an employee if they straight up refuse it and they can't get a medical exemption and they can't get religious exemption? Well, a company can lay them off and fire them because they're going against workplace policy. And in a lot of states, if, a, if an employee is fired for not following the vaccine mandate, they may not qualify for unemployment benefits. Um, so it's a really interesting place to be in right now and, and on both sides of the coin. 
Um, and again, having lots of conversations with people who are very much pro-vaccine, but concerned about this mandate. And I, I want to be clear in saying that they're still waiting for approval from Biden's plan, is my understanding, and that we're waiting for approval to come through and OSHA to release their workplace policy regulations. So a really interesting time we live in right now. I'm curious if what conversations you've heard. Likewise, I've heard similar stories, right, where they're starting to roll these vaccine mandates out and smaller organizations that don't even fall within the 100 plus um, are kind of using the honor system. So not really requiring proof per se, but taking the employee's word that they have been vaccinated for the safety of, of everyone in the, in the building, especially as people start this hybrid, you know, working from home a few days, going into the office a few days. I understand the, the intent behind it, but as we always say, it's a slippery slope. If it starts here with this, what's to say after COVID, you know, the government implementing something else and not saying they would, but just saying if there's precedent that has been done before, what does that do? What, what kind of Pandora's boxes is potentially opened? My question would be up on the specifics of the mandate. But if you are able to perform your work remotely and you're not vaccinated, is that an acceptable alternative? And that's a that's a really great question. And from what I've been reading and hearing and also from experience with in my own company, it is mandatory for all employees, um, fully remote, hybrid, fully in an office. It's completely across the board. Mm-hmm. And if employees aren't vaccinated by a certain date, these companies are looking at violations of, you know, $14,000 and upward. This is the first time in recent history that we have been faced with something like this. And it's going to be really interesting what kind of lawsuits start coming forward to, to see if this is, if this is unconstitutional. What does that mean for people who end up losing their livelihood? And also, what does this mean for us trying to recover from an economy that has suffered the past two years due to COVID? So it really is interesting, and it's really anxiety-inducing for a lot of people in the workforce. There's a piece of me that, again, it's a slippery slope. You know, do we want all this control? And then there's another piece of me that's like, yeah, everyone should be getting vaccinated, (laughs) one, right? But that's my opinion. Two, I think that, you know, I understand um, a a big nudge and maybe even like a forceful, like, yeah, you need to do it or you will be fired if you're in certain professions. If you are an educator, if you are teaching children that cannot yet get vaccinated, I do feel it is your responsibility to be vaccinated to protect those people with whom you work and with whom you're around. Um, Same thing for healthcare professionals, right? It feels very heavy handed to me. It feels like if you can work remotely and do your job responsibly, then you should be allowed to do that. I mean, I know that there are people who have health, health issues and, and religious freedoms that, you know, whether we agree with their belief system or not, that's part of the, the fabric of, of our country, right, is, is to be able to make those choices for yourself. 
So this is unprecedented. I think to your point, Vanessa, anybody who's working around vulnerable populations, that's a different conversation, right? And and that maybe should be handled differently. But to have this heavy-handed, all or nothing across the board, A, I think it's going to lead to a ton of litigation, to your point, Elisa. Um, and maybe that's what has to happen. And B, again, once a government does get its tentacles out there, it's very, very hard to retract those tentacles. So I'm kind of conflicted as well, because at the end of the day, yes, just get vaccinated and we yeah, have to exactly. have this conversation. Exactly. But I don't know the situation of 270 million plus American people that I can really make that claim authoritatively across everybody's circumstances and lifestyle. And there's two things that pop into my head too. You know, again, if I'm going to be very transparent, my husband, I work from home completely. I don't really have to worry about that. If I'm going to have an in-person meeting, I know what I need to do to protect myself. And I can set parameters of like, I'm only going to meet with you outside. I'm not going to be doing anything indoors, et cetera. But when you're going into an office, all of those people that you're around, you know, or even if it's a few people that you're around, you don't know what their families are doing. Okay. And you don't, again, he's going in and we have children. So I want everyone in his office to be vaccinated. Right. And I think that it should be mandated. Right. So it's again, it's very personal. So it, this is like there are layers like this onion is humongous. And then the other part of that point, Vanessa, too, is people who are going into an office. Right. And they potentially are exposed and they take something home and they are vaccinated and they've got had a breakthrough case or whatever the case might be. That also sets you know, from a company standpoint, that's, that's, that's liability too. And what on that side of the coin, what does this then perpetuate? And what Mm -hmm. does this, where does it leave that person who, who is susceptible or is immunocompromised um, or has family members at home who want to be vaccinated, but can't because they have a medical reason. Um, So what does that, what does that mean? And where do we go from here? I, you know, I, I am fully in support of the vaccine. Um, it is interesting in having conversations with uh, candidates and having to share, you know, not di- I, I will not directly come out and ask somebody, are you vaccinated? But I, I inform them of our mandate. And if you are going to continue to move forward in this process, I just want you to know that our company has rolled out a vaccine mandate. Um, are there any issues with that? Do you have any thoughts? And majority of people have been very, uh, no, fully supported. Um, so it is going to be interesting to see how all of this plays out and what this means for individual states, what this means for individual companies. And it's interesting, too, coming at a time when so many people, when there's such upheaval in the job market for lots of reasons, right? Industries that were shut down during the pandemic, people who sheltered in, in their jobs for a while and are just like, I'm done. I'm not going back. There's so much transition going on in the job market in general. And companies are having a hard time finding people. People are having a hard time finding the right position. So, um, and this is just another layer of complexity on top of that. So I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and then like with the whole medical exemption or religious exemption, you know, I, and I don't know if it's true or not, I'm assuming that there are, you know, doctors out there that may cross the line and give somebody a note just because, right? Mm -hmm. So there's that piece of it. So it maybe not, is not a true medical situation. Um, And then on the religious side, I, I, 
how do you eat what really? Like, how do you even like determine that one? And then what, what if someone says, well, you know what, I've switched religions recently, you know, how are you going to question that? So there's those ambiguities that are, you know, a little less tangible that how do you question it? That's, I think where the, the lawsuits really lie, right? If this is a way to encourage everyone to get vaccinated by forcing a hand a little bit, like, I don't know, I, I feel like I'm more for it than against it. And again, just being vulnerable, but if that's going to protect the majority of the global population, or at least here national with our federal laws, again, more for it than against it. What about testing? I mean, we've got, is that going to be something that companies look at as well? Are they going to require, well, okay, if you're getting a medical exemption or religious exemption, or maybe it's just something you don't believe in that a company will say, okay, well, then you will be required to be tested every week. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're at the point in, in time that tests are more accessible and, and are companies then going to be the person that are responsible for supplying those tests? I think, Hey, you know, it's reasonable. And especially like, again, if you're going to have those religious and medical exemptions, fine, but at least prove, I, I mean, I think that's fair. I, I, I don't mind that. And at least personally, my, my, my feelings on it anyway. Um, and then as far as the, the company, I think it should be on the company to pay for those things because they're requiring it. So anytime a company requires something, I think it, that should be completely covered by the company. I think that the government should then in turn do something on, on taxes or what have you for the company to pay for those things since it's a, a federal requirement, 100%. So it's hard, it's hard. But at the end of the day, we're, we're seeing that there's more pr progress and positive that could come from these vaccines than negative. And we, we have to think about those, the, the, the frontline workers, the doctors, mm -hmm. the nurses, the technicians, the people who are working in these ICUs who have to continuously treat people who had an option. Mm -hmm. And then we have the discussion about boosters, right, coming up in, in the rearview mirror very, very mm -hmm quickly on us. And so that will probably also become a thing at some point. So yeah, I, I don't know how we get out of this, but if you are able to get vaccinated. Yes. Get the jab. All right. Time for Anything Goes, where we talk just about anything. Vanessa, today... Let's talk beauty. What do you say? I'm you so like excited. Talk, I'm so, so excited for this new segment, Anything Goes, because it does. It allows us to just, say, you know, whatever it is that we've discovered in our lives that we really want to, you know, talk about. And we get excited about it. And beauty is one of those. We're beauty junkies. Like, we love it. <laughs> I just literally packed up to move out of Raleigh into our beach place. I can't tell you how many bags of skincare products. My husband just looked at me like, what is all this? Are you starting a pharmacy to <laughs> so yes, it's Su definitely Susan, something we love. <laughs> Sue's apothecary. Yes, oh, I like that. <laughs> apothecary by the sea. <laughs> oh, I love it. This is another business idea. Oh man. Oh gosh. Well, let's right. start with you. Okay, so you know, everyone, most women really love accentuating their lashes, and I mean that has blown up into like actually getting you know lashes put on at you know boutiques, right? right? So you found a new mascara. Cool. Yes, 
Yay. Yes. I'm so excited about this. And I have always been a mascara junkie. Like since I was a kid, I have, I, I just love to try new mascaras. And then most of the time I'll try it a couple of times and then I'll hate it and I'll throw it away. Or because I have three daughters who are more forgiving of new mascaras, <laughs> I always have people to pass them off to. However, I have found this one that is, and I'm, I'm showing Vanessa. Y'all will just have to picture it. It's Jones Road by Bobby Brown. It is her new uh, clean beauty line. And I just am crazy about this mascara. It has a um, curved, really thick curved brush. And what I love about this is that it curls your lashes and it's like a, I describe it as a push-up bra for your lashes. I love that description. <laughs> and it really does. It it um, it pushes them up. And if you just like press for a second, it will hold them all day and it doesn't flake. The only, there's two things that I that I would say are my critiques of it. One is this little tube of mascara comes in about an eight inch by six inch box with all kinds of filling. And I just think to myself, okay, this is a clean beauty product that is taking up way more cardboard mm, than it needs mm -hmm. to. So uh, if anybody from the folks at Bobby Brown and Jones Road beauty products are listening, I'm happy to receive my mascara in a tiny little package in the mail. So pack it light and small, please. The other thing is that when you first use it, it's a little bit clumpy. And I think that's true with a lot of mascaras. And so you kind of have to fuss with the wand a little bit, but I'm telling you, ladies, anybody who loves to wear mascara, this stuff is the bomb diggity. Highly, highly, highly recommend. It's about $28, I think US. So check it out. So I've got a few questions. Okay. I have also tried to transition from like all of my favorite Holy Grail, you know, quote unquote, maybe not so good for you <laughs> makeup to clean, to clean beauty. Mm -hmm. um, and as we've spoken before, it's like, a, it's an interesting journey. And it's also a frustrating one because once you've found something, I mean, especially with makeup, I'm, I'm pretty loyal unless something new comes out and I see a lot of um, hype over it. And then I make my own decision on that hype product. But the efficacy of clean beauty for, you know, events or anything that you need it to really last, I just feel is not there yet. And there's some things that work better than others, right? Um, mm -hmm. But mascara is one that I, I still haven't found the one. The one I'm using right now is Westman Atelier. And it's it's nice for like a second. And then I feel it just starts to transfer. And then I feel mm. it starts to flake after it dries. So what have you noticed with Jones Road? Does it have lasting power? In addition to the incredible lift and curl and length that I get on my lashes with this, it does not transfer and it does not flake. And Ooh. I wear it all day long. And sometimes I wear it through a workout and no issues with that whatsoever. And I know exactly what you're talking about. And by the way, I'm not being paid to promote this product in any way. <laughs> I just really, really like it. And again, I'm, I've tried so many mascaras. Um, another one that's just a drugstore brand that I really like is, I think it's the L'Oreal Telescopic. I like that one as well. My daughters love that one. And that's a lot more affordable. I think you can usually get it like Target for around under 10 bucks, mm -hmm. but, um, but it doesn't have the same lengthening and curling as this Jones Road product. And to answer your question, I have not had any issues with flaking or transfer. 
Mm, okay. It's on my list. Once All I right. get through this Westman Atelier, I'm going to try yes. Jones Road. <laughs> um, All righty. Let's so, move on. To, so yes. Are you ready to move on to fingers? I'm moving on to fingers. And <laughs> this is such a funny topic for me. Press on nails. I didn't know it was a thing, but apparently it is a thing. And uh, as we know, with COVID and germs, a lot of people stopped going to the nail salons. I was one of them. I was pregnant during COVID and I also have little ones that can't get vaccinated yet. So I really haven't gone back to doing the manis and petties as much as I, I, I miss having manis and petties mm-hmm. done. Um, and there was a point in time, even before COVID that I was like, wow, being a mom, this is such a time suck. Like literally it takes so much time to mm-hmm. sit there, even though you're tr- supposed to treat yourself and it's supposed to be a pampering experience. I'm thinking, yeah, no, <laughs> no, I'm thinking of, I need to be home doing laundry. I hope the kids are okay. I hope hubby is not being driven crazy. Like all the things that I should quote unquote should be doing versus just right. sitting there and enjoying myself. So that was pre COVID anyway. COVID hits and then this another, you know, compounded thing. Insert these (laughs) press on nails. So when I think of press on nails, I remember as an 80s kid, my my aunt used to always have press on nails. And I just remember the crusty glue bottle and these really flimsy nails that would just pop up at any time. Like just the quality was not there. So that's my vision of press on nails. And I started seeing these ads. I'm like, what the, are people really talking about press on nails? Like, are we back there? Everything all is new again. I guess so. Yeah. (laughs) It's retro. It's cool. Mm -hmm. Um, So no, so I started doing research. And when I go doing research, I go down the rabbit hole, guys. Like I am like dedicated to finding the best, what I should be doing, how I should be doing it. And I've done all the research for you. So if you're interested in trying these new press on nails, one, the technology is a lot better. They feel like a natural nail and the glue is supposed to be better for you than actually getting gel manicures or acrylic manicures, et cetera. So the only thing is you're doing it yourself at home. And what I found to be the best for me at this point in time are the Kiss Gel Fantasy Nails. They're fantastic. You can get them for under $10. I want to say between $8 and $10. Um, And I spent $8 on the few packs that I have at Walgreens. And you can find them at Walgreens, Target, CVS, Walmart, Amazon. And certain places will have deals like certain times of the month. I know Walgreens does where you can buy two for 10. All that to say, they last and they look, Sue is my witness, Mm -hmm. completely natural. They clip and file beautifully and they do not fall off. And I am a mom of two. I am constantly doing dishes and laundry and making beds and doing all the things. And I do not treat these nails or fingers any differently. I am blown away and tickled at the same time because I just can't believe that I'm talking about press on nails, but here I am. (laughs) No, they do look amazing. And you know, it's so funny because about two or three years ago, we had a coworker at the company that Vanessa and I yeah. both worked at who used this exact product. And I remember trying it at the time because she was raving about how she loved them. And I tried them then and I they were great. They were fantastic. They were really pretty. They lasted. 
but I think they're even better now. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially, I think Vanessa, you said you don't use the little stickers, you use just the glue and that makes them last even longer. Yeah. And um, so that's a good little tip to share with everybody. But I I remember at the time trying them and really liking them. And after you, after I saw your nails (laughs) and heard you raving about these, I went out and I got... I got them again before I bought them from their website. And this time I was able to find them at like a CVS and mm-hmm. I'm taking them to Spain with me. Well, yeah. And I think that at the time, the, the coworker you're speaking of, it was the KISS brand and that's KISS as in K-I-S-S, KISS. Mm-hmm. Um, they have what they call the Impress mm-hmm. line. Um, and those have the sticky already on the nail. So you don't have to put the sticky on the nail and then put the nail on. Like you literally just peel it off the nail and you put it on. Those are supposed to last about a week. But these Kiss Gel Fantasy Nails give you the option. They come with stickers. They're not on the back of the nail, but they come with stickers if you like, or you can use the glue. So the first time I did it, I did both and they lasted, but I felt that the glue sticker was a little thick. So it it looked natural, but it could look even better. So the second time I did it, I just used the glue and it does. It looks hands down like even more natural than it did before. And two, I feel that now as they're growing out, because these have been on for about a week, mind you on the box, it says seven days that it's supposed to last. My first set lasted 16 days. And now I'm going on day number nine with these. I feel like just using the glue at the cuticle line, as your nails start to grow out, um, I'm not getting the whole like sticking in my hair. Like if I run my fingers through my hair, I'm not getting this. Mm -hmm. Um, So all that to say, check them out. I know you think I'm crazy. And if again, if you're an 80s kid, you're envisioning the the really crappy pop-off nails. No, these are like next level. And there are several different brands. Again, I'm not paid by Kiss Gel Fantasy <laughs> to talk about these, but I'm super, super. <laughs> you <impressed>. should be. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say about Jones Road. Bobby Brown's listening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think it's super fun. And again, the holidays are upon us. And these are like a cute, like stocking stuffer. And it's like literally only $8 or less if you get it on a on a deal. So you just yeah. have to convince your, um, whoever you're giving that gift to. Like I, I tried to get my daughters to try them and they were like, oh, sick on nails, mom. So but I'll, I'll, I'll win them over after they listen to this episode. <laughs> and I'm right there with you. You know, it's so funny when I go to the salon to get my nails done, cause I still do that from time to time. Like I'm so impatient and I want to be on my phone, but I can't cause my fingers are all wrapped up. <laughs> I'm like trying to accomplish something. So my question for you is how long does it take to put them on? I'll take time to do my feet and my hands like at home. But if you're just doing your hands and you do it properly, and I think that there's a way to do it, I think from start to finish, a good 45 minutes to an hour. If you do it, if you invest the time to do it right, they will last you. And I would start just a quick little tutorial. Use acetone to clean off your nail. Make sure you push the cuticle back and do all the things that they would kind of do to prep your nails at the salon, like sit down with some like warm water and soap and like push the the cuticle back. And then right before you put them on, use some acetone to get all of the oils off, buff your nail a little bit and apply. And I'm telling you. And pour a glass of wine because that's what they would do for you at the salon. Of course. I have to put that in there. (laughs) Yes. Very important. Thank you, Sue. It totally is. No, but I think that if you take the time to do it that way and in that sequence, Mm -hmm. 45 minutes to an hour, but they will last you a good two weeks. All right. There you have it, folks. Jones Road Mascara, the clean beauty line from Bobby Brown and Kiss Gel Fantasy. 
press on nails. You heard it here on the We Get Really Up podcast (laughs) on Anything Goes. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for joining us here on We Get Real AF. Make sure you subscribe to the show and text this episode to a friend. Also, if we need money, honey, find us at ifundwomen.com. We have patron exclusives waiting for you. Plus, you'll just feel good. Thanks for listening.